You're listening to Last Word Soccer Club Radio. Only here, lastwordonsports.com. What's up, Internet? My name is Matt Pollard, and you are listening to Last Word Soccer Club Radio here at lastwordonsports.com. It is the evening of Thursday, November 30th, 2023. December is upon us. Christmas is upon us. Happy belated Thanksgiving to all of our listeners out there. Uh, joining me now, Rachel Krigger, uh, and we're going to talk some MLS Cup playoffs. Rachel, are you okay? Uh, the MLS is MLSing. That is that is for certain. Playoffs are are the new silly season at this point. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, I guess, uh, uh, Rachel, are you in mourning? Are you accepting of the fate of um of of Seattle Sounders and their uh not making the conference final? I I'm still in mourning because. As we will talk about, the officiating was hot garbage. Um, and I hate that we lost to a 39-year-old Cellini, but I, yeah, I'm, I'm in deep mourning right now. Okay, so it's been obviously a couple days, folks, and most if you're listening to us, then obviously you listen to a bunch of other content, so we're not necessarily going to recap, uh, recap the games tactically, but more take a higher-level view of what in macro happened that affected the result. And then obviously the goals, certainly. So we'll start chronologically, Rachel, for the game that I was most interested in because of what I thought both teams could potentially do. And then Oscar Perea decided to Oscar Perea in the playoffs and just play defensive and make it, for me, I think the least. Seattle and LAFC was unwatchable because of the way it was officiated. It was a high-quality soccer game between two teams fundamentally trying to play soccer. Um Houston Dynamo versus Sporting Kansas City was machetes and axe handles. And then uh, what was the other one? Who am I missing? And then Cincinnati and Philly was an absolute barn burner as well. And this game was the boring one for me because in the macro, I think it's just really obvious how Oscar Perea, head coach of Orlando City, is going to approach these games and just fundamentally he's going to try and kill it. Like Oscar Perea wishes that he was Jose Mourinho and that he could set up a super defensive game, shorten the game up, and then find ways to tactically poop house the opponent, frustrate them, and then fundamentally get a result based on the strengths and weaknesses individually of the opponent and of their team. And Orlando was able to stymie Columbus for an extended period of time, and then Rodrigo Slagle gets a red card in the 77th minute, and then ultimately the game goes into extra time, and it was just a matter of whether or not Orlando could hold out for penalties, down a man, you know, for the better part of, so 77 would have been, what, 13, 13 and 30 would have been 43 minutes. So effectively a half of soccer, them being down a man. Um, and hopefully then, Rachel, they don't have a pl- they don't have a goalkeeper uh, jump the line early, get a second yellow card, because Rodrigo Slagle wouldn't have been there to save them. And ultimately, the dynamic attacking talent of Columbus crew and ultimately Wilford Nancy's, I think, tactical nows ultimately won the day. Christian Ramirez ultimately scoring the winner early on in stoppage time and then, or excuse me, early on in extra time. And then, uh, Chicho and, and then Cucho Hernandez, um, seeing out with a goal in the 118th minute. I think Columbus crew are the better team. I think they were the team that I would have, that I picked to get out of 
in this game. And ultimately, based on the way that Orlando played, I think as soon as the red card happened, they needed to adjust and they weren't able to adjust. And this is frustrating for me, Rachel, because I think Oscar Brea is a great coach. He was good and won trophies at Dallas. Uh, he could have won stuff at Colorado if Colorado Rapids were better set up to help him achieve his vision. And really, he has all of this attacking talent. He has all of this young upcoming talent that he's able to recruit, that he's able to foster. But ultimately, in the biggest moments, rather than letting them play, he stymies it in favor for a more defensive, negative version of football. So uh, in that regard, Rachel, I think the more deserving team. And Vance, certainly the team that was better. Um, Rodrigo, we'll, we'll get talking on officiating later on, Rachel, but the, the goals were good, and I had no complaints with the red card to Rodrigo Slagle. Let me make sure that was what I thought it was uh, listed as a foul. Oh, excuse me, it was the second yellow card. So the two yellows for Rodrigo Slagle, and then at that point, um, Orlando City left it up to chance in that regard, and that's the uh, the risk that you take in that regard. The better team won, the more deserving team won, the team that is going to make for a more exciting Eastern Conference Final for me won. Uh, Rachel, anything that you want to say about this, and do you want to pour someone out as a former Florida resident? Oh, as a former Florida Florida resident, I always really like Rodrigo Schlegel just because he was a nice guy to talk to. Um, very easygoing, very chill. Um, so yeah, I I didn't really watch the game, but when I saw that there was a red card awarded to him, I was like, wait, what? Um, and immediately checked um, Twitter now X um to see if there was like any clip or whatever of of what happened. But um, kudos to Orlando for making it a lot further than anybody probably thought that they would. I still feel like Orlando's like the proverbial underdog of the Eastern Conference. Um. But yeah, I just I, I think Colum- Columbus is too good this season. Um, really like the team. Hoping that they get the upset over Cincinnati um in in, in their conference final. Um but yeah, pour one out for, for Orlando and for Oscar Perea. Rachel, you were saying before we hit the record button that you were super happy for Christian Ramirez, who I believe was a substitute in this game. Let me confirm that. I had his stats up, listeners, and then therefore didn't have the lineups up, and I don't remember. Loading. Loading. Uh, yes, he was a substitute in this game, but he comes in, Rachel, and he gets ultimately what was the game-winning goal. Um, he had eight goals and four assists. Really impressive in 1,600 minutes for Columbus Crew. I, You know, I like he's a journeyman he's nothing special from a striker standpoint Rachel you know if um if something you know if Jordan Morris gets bought by Manchester City in January and then uh Seattle Sounders respond to that by acquiring Christian Ramirez and saying Christian Ramirez is going to be the starter you have concerns about the striker position for the Seattle Sounders but he's had a nice little season I think under the radar given the other attacking talent at Columbus Crew and so anything that you want to say about him or the fact that I think the other thing for me is that this was a representation of Columbus Crew is a team comprehensively in terms of their contributors in ways that I think Orlando was a little Facundo Torres, um, uh, Robin Janssen dependent. Well, first off, you just explained Fulham there with your Jordan Morris analogy. And <laughs> <laughs> immediately all I thought of was, Mitro and then Raul Jimenez. So thank you for bringing up painful memories, Matt. Christian um, Ramirez is the Raul Jimenez of this analogy, to be yeah. clear, listeners. Yes, absolutely. 
I I always really liked Christian Ramirez. I always wished he got a little bit more time with the national team. He got in <clears throat> in with the national team during his time with LAFC. Always really liked him when he was in Minnesota. Um, honestly, forgot that he was with Houston for a while, um, which he was actually with them for about three years. So, um, yeah, like you said, he's been kind of around MLS. He's been he he played in Europe for a little bit as well. Um, before coming back to MLS, and yeah, I just like I I love that he's they're they're getting their the most out of him right now in Columbus, and I think that this is some of the best soccer he's been playing in a while. And I think Christian Ramirez is just a super likable guy. Um, you know, I've never had the chance to meet him or interview him, but from what other people have said who have interviewed and met him, that he's just a super personable guy, super easy to talk to. Um, so yeah, you you like to see good things happen to good people. So I'm all aboard uh, Christian Ramirez getting goals in the MLS Cup playoffs. And if that involves him lifting a trophy here at the end of the season, I will not be complaining. Let's move on to uh, the the second game that we had um, in the Eastern Conference. And Rachel, that was Cincinnati controversially defeating Philadelphia Union by a score of one to nil. Fourth minute of stoppage time in the second half. Mosquera scoring off of a set piece that appeared to be offside. If you pl- follow, I can't remember what the name of the account is, Rachel, but it does like modeling based on the angles of where the camera is and where stuff is. And the the main angle that's been circulating throughout social media and online listeners is a bad angle in terms of showing it, it appears more offside than it is. It was supposedly like three or four inches. And then therefore, that's something that I don't think is clear and obvious but based on the angle at least i can see where some people would think that um so uh, on the long list of complaints that i have about how officials have handled things in these playoffs this uh goal is not at the top of my list but rachel this was um this was a cage match for me this was one for the tactics nerds who loved a otherwise unexciting game because of what was going on tactically there were a lot of chances but nothing really high quality before the goal I think Ure had that best chance late in the first half for Philly but you know if you look at it stats wise I think it was um so since he had 11 shots total um Philadelphia had 16 shot attempts as well and then you had it was um, Philly had just over one XG and then um, and then Cincinnati, I think it was like 0.7, 0.8 in terms of total. So really good defensive performance. This was the the equivalent of a pitcher's duel, Rachel. That's like a 2-1 win in extra innings in the playoffs. That's what this game was and everything. I'm disappointed that like publicly it comes down to such a controversial goal or that it comes down an individual moment. I do think Cincinnati's the better team. Obviously, they were missing some players, which I think certainly benefited Philly and made it a closer game, made it a game that Philly could have won. But I'm, you know, I, I would have liked to see something more spectacular or something more definitive than what we got then. Like the like this game deserved to go to extra time for me, but that wasn't the way that it was. Um Big takeaways that I have, Rachel, is that Cincinnati was able to overcome adversity and miss bodies. I think that's going to be critical for probably the biggest hell is real game in history when obviously they'll be hosting Columbus Crew later on this week. Um, We'll talk about that in a minute, but obviously that'll be without Matt Miazga. And so I, I think that showed some real steel from FC Cincinnati when it was necessary. And for me, Rachel, this was another missed opportunity for Philadelphia Union. I haven't liked as much. They haven't been as aggressive or as showing as much ambition in their last two transfer windows. And the fact that opponents have had 
better star talent to then see them out in Champions League and Leagues Cup. Ultimately, in this playoff game was certainly disappointing. Um, I think Jim Curtin has said all the right things, and certainly the players have stood up and you know, responded with some of the stuff that's come out publicly with supposedly Captain Ali Bedoya isn't going to be retained at the club and the players wanting him back, them wanting Kai Wagner to stay, even though there's been reports that he's not coming back as well. Um, And I think Jim Curtin was fair and based in matter of fact, as he often is post game where he was asked about that and, you know, said that I'd rather be I'd rather be in these games and be in position to lose games that are meaningful at the end of the season when a trophy's on the line rather than be at teams that rarely even get to these. And, you know, he called out, I think 25 is a pretty high number, Rachel, given that, you know, there's 29 teams in MLS and four of those teams are in a conference final. And um, one more of those teams that didn't make the playoffs was in an open cup final. And then you count like the Teams that make it with a chance to, you know, competitively win a trophy, I think is more than four teams in MLS. Um, He was certainly subtweeting the Colorado Rapids in that, nothing else. But so um, I'm disappointed because I thought this team could achieve so much more. I'm concerned that the window is going to close with the turnover in personnel and with the aging of the players that they do have as well. And I'm concerned that ultimately Jim Curtin, who for me, Rachel, is one of the top five coaches in MLS is not at a team that gives him the opportunity to win trophies that are commensurate with his capabilities. And so that's something that I'm concerned about. Like the, I I would love for Jim Curtin to go back to Chicago fire and get unlimited checks like he would in Atlanta or like Brian Smetzer's had at times in Seattle and to just completely turn that club around and win MLS cup and be like, yes, I'm an amazing coach. I've won an MLS cup. I can now go to Europe. And I just, I feel longing once again for what Philly has been able to do. And this makes their story incomplete or it makes the, it makes what they are still wanting something because they haven't won a trophy. And the person I feel most for in that regard is Jim Curtin. But Rachel, I'm talking a lot. What'd you think? Um, Ditto to everything that you said. And I think just, you know, watching this game, I really thought that yeah, Cincinnati was the better team, but I think Philadelphia had a lot more opportunities to kind of take the game and steal the game back. Like they they came out with a little bit more momentum there in the second half, and I appreciated that. And then Cincinnati kind of stole it right back. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, I mean, like you said, the the goal is what people are going to talk about. Again, it's echoing your statement. It's not really high up on my list. Could have gone either way. I'm I'm pretty indifferent to the call. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, but I mean, honestly, it it really comes down to just you know, stoppage time goals always make me mad because, like you said, these are the games that deserve more time. These are the games that deserve extra time. And honestly, if there would have been a winner in extra time, I would have been more um, satisfied. Than, than how it went down. Um, but yeah, I think going back to the Alejandro Bedoya stuff, I mean, he wants to stay in Philadelphia. There's absolutely no question about that. The fans want him to stay. His teammates want him to stay. Um, I highly, highly doubt he's going around asking for like, you know, Chucho Hernandez money. Um, he, he knows what his role is now. Um, and, and honestly, like there's, with a club like that, that still has like a lot of issues in the front office and is not maybe fully supporting the team as best as they could, like you were mentioning about the issues with Jim Curtin, 
for a player to say like, okay, I still want to be part of this and and make this team better. I mean, why would you not want to have that on your roster? He, Alejandro Bedoya loves Philadelphia. There's like no question about that. Um, and I hope he stays. Um, Jim Curtin just, I, I saw an MLS's website today. There was an article came out where he said he, Alejandro Bedoya should 100% come back. Um, and, and a lot of people around Philadelphia, I think, would agree with that statement. So, um, yeah, I hope he comes back. Cincinnati moves on. They, they win the shield. They have a chance here, uh, to win the conference final and to go to MLS Cup. No matter what, MLS Cup is going to be held in Ohio, <laughs> whether it be in Columbus or Cincinnati. But, I mean, the, the Cincinnati deserves it, certainly. I mean, they, they really had a great season. Pat Noonan, Coach of the Year. I mean, there, there really isn't a better time for them. Like, their, their stock is just rising. Rachel, I'd like to interrupt this MLS talk to inform you that Pittsburgh Penguins goaltender Tristan Jerry has scored a goalie goal and the Penguins have won in Tampa. That is exciting. I don't watch hockey, but I love goalie goals and I love and we love chaos, so I am okay with this. Uh, and this is also this is less than a week, Rachel, I believe, after um, the uh, AHL affiliate of the Penguins, the Wilkesbury Scranton Penguins. Maybe I'm mispronouncing that, Rachel. Um, Wilkesbury, Wilkesbury yep. Pan- Scranton Penguins. Wilkesbury. Uh, the Penguins of the AHL also had a goalie goal, not Tristan Jerry, who scored it. So um, we love. We love goalie goals. Um, we love goalie scoring in soccer and in hockey. Let's move on to the Western Conference, Rachel, where I think we had certainly the more, for me, given what we now know about the the angle and maybe the um, the misleading camera angles and replay for the goal that Cincinnati scored. For me, the two biggest games from an officiating controversy situation occurred in the Western Conference games, which were this past Sunday. And you had Houston Dynamo firstly defeating Sporting Kansas City by a score of one to nil. First time that these two teams have met in the playoffs since 2017. And old MLS heads will remember these two teams duking it out in MLS 2.0, early 3.0, back when both were in the Eastern Conference. Um, Escobar scores in the 39th minute. Um, Rachel, I thought both teams came out and played that they wanted to play. I do think Kansas City was lacking a little bit with Ndembe being unavailable. Um, but certainly Houston coming out, Bossy, Hector Herrera. I think ultimately Houston was the better team in the midfield. And if we're taking the the macro that didn't actually matter because this was a game of moments as we'll come on to, I think that was the reflective of the fact that they were slightly the better team. Um, whereas if you look at just the underlying numbers and the advanced analytics, Philly slightly outplayed Cincinnati, but probably not enough to get the result in 90 minutes. I think there's enough of a gap there to where you can say that Houston ekes it out, but all of this is belaboring the point, Rachel, because there was a controversy in Sporting Kansas City. We're certainly upset on a no call regarding a potential penalty that they would have had, and that involved um, Eric. Oh God, I'm not sure how to pronounce this last name. Uh, Sviatchenko, maybe S V I A T C H E N K O. In any case, he gets to. Um, he's defending Daniel Shallowy, um, and then. Um, and, you know, and it appears to go off his hand. And this is a case of I'm not sure if it's ball the hand or what's going on. But um, Rachel, y- your thoughts on this game. Um, and can we now like 
Rachel, how can we like make sense of what's going on from an uh, from an officiating standpoint? I'm, I'm just watching the replay now, folks, and there was a deflection that went on shallow. He got in behind, and I think Steve Clark makes the initial save, but then it goes up. Uh, for me, the hand is stretched out, Rachel, and I think the uh, I think it's a penalty for me is the simplest way I'll put it. But yeah, I think it's a penalty too. And honestly, like I don't even know how to explain the officiating because I feel like anytime I see you know, one of our media colleagues as as the pool reporter, and they submit questions about, you know, if, for, for those who don't know, pool reporters are, okay, so if, if there's a penalty or, or there's a decision made, the pool reporter will ask, okay, well, why was this decision made? And the referee is supposed to explain it. Well, the referee, for the most part, usually just says, um, it was a penalty because it was a penalty. Like, those are the explanations that I have been seeing most recently in, in MLS and in NWSL or, or USL or wherever. Like it's, it's just, there needs to be better explanations. Um, there needs to be better access to pool reporting because I know it's certainly not perfect, um, across all three of those leagues that I mentioned, but it's a penalty for me. And I mean, it's just an egregious no call. I mean, that this is, this is the playoffs and we're in the final. At this stage in the game, it was the final eight teams. Like, it is the playoffs. There, there are spots on the line for conference finals where teams can win a trophy. Like, get it together. So I have rewatched the replay, Rachel, and so I was wrong. I um, maybe I hadn't seen it all, and I, I was just recollecting it. So the the arm is outstretched. It's not tucked against his body, and this is also against the goal line. So not only is this a penalty handball, this is denial of a goal-scoring opportunity. That is a red card. I've seen that plenty of times. Jared Watts got a red card for the Rapids for basically a very, very similar play. And I think it's pretty standard in terms of our understanding of when a defender's in that situation, the only thing's acceptable is the arm tucked against the body so if it hits the side but then the arms on the side I could see where that's 50 50 and you give the referees discretion if the arms tucked in front of you so um you know say this is going to be weird because we don't have video necessarily listeners but we see plenty of times where like a player has like the body tucked or has like their arm tucked under their chest and like the body and then so the ball goes off of their arm but it's like okay it would have gone off of their chest their body's tucked in it's clearly stretched out the ball clearly for me hits his arm and there was like you know the way that you're coaching everything against your body or behind your back if that goes off of you know his pec or his or you know even just the arm where it's against the body I think you can get away with that but I don't understand that and that was on an open shot so the initial breakaway comes through and Clark makes the save it gets deflected uh Daniel Shallowy chases down the rebound rebound and then shoots with the goalkeeper out of position um and then Sviatchenko on the goal line and then making the save, but making the save with the handball. So that's the, I could see where if we're going back to Rachel clear and obvious, and I do not think that I think in that regard, if we're going by that as the standard, I think MLS overuses VAR for what the standard is based on that language. I think they use it more as a replay as the, it's almost like a civil case, Rachel, where it's the probable cause or more likely than not. I think that's actually a better application of the rule for me in a lot of cases, particularly for penalties like this. Like this is the one from the weekend for me is inexcusable. There's no like there was no one game defining or game changing moment that or decision that Ted Uncle made between Seattle Sounders and LAFC. But this was absolutely a game defining and a game changing moment. And 
when you have the replay and you have all of that, I, I can't rationalize the decision. And so to your point, Rachel, about pool reporting, we won't come on to this because I think it's it's semi unrelated to this call. But um, the MLSPA came out with a, you know, came out and spilled the tea earlier today with a statement in response to Matt Miazga's suspension for entering the locker room of the referees in the playoff game at Red Bull Arena. I think that uh, that uh, the result in the penalization of the three game suspension was standard. And we already knew that that was in the writing. So I think that was fairly um, straightforward. But the PA then points out kind of the misconstruing of public statements and everything. And the fact that while players are held accountable for their actions and very publicly, as Miazga has been now with the investigation and maybe the um, and a fine and then also uh, damaging to his personal reputation, which I think is all deserved. We don't necessarily have that from the officials. You know, Rachel, the your points are valid. And I say this as someone who's one of the two people this year who submitted a pool reporter uh, question at Dick's Sporting Goods Park of we there's usually a liaison an intermediary between us and the referees. So we don't even get to have direct interactions with the officials, which I think could be improved upon. I am a civil enough member of the media. I think you could have that in the same way that there's direct interactions with players and coaches and other front office members with members of the media. And then the answers are usually not sufficient. And then there's also there's a separate process which kind of gets a little bit lengthy and unnecessary when it comes to asking follow up questions or asking for clarity and what that looks like and everything. And look, I'm not asking for, you know, the for Emerald City supporters to get to like go and have like a shame parade Game of Thrones style and then tar and feather um, Ted Uncle and then burn him at a stake that they construct at center field at Century Link Field or Lumen Field, excuse me, now. But I think, you know, players get, you know, there, there's open media and then open questions where players get criticized and there's a dialogue and there's a sense of pressure and accountability to the fan base and to the other entities as players and everything. And referees just get to make their decisions, get booed by the ref. But then as soon as the game's over, they hide off and, you know, get to be a shrinking violet. And so I'd like to see that happen a little bit more. I would like to see the punishment not be undisclosed or unreported fines or changes in their assignment in them just not getting as many games to then ultimately not get it as paid as much or those referees not getting assigned to certain teams who they then have a bad reputational history with and everything i'd like to see more of that and i think the only reason why there isn't and i think it's completely understanding is that pro sees that there's a lot of referee abuse and i think this is more prominent in england but it's come to light more recently in england especially with var and the way that var is used in the english premiership but so there's a lot of referee criticism that i think is ultimately unproductive vanny sartini openly alluding to you know if the referee's body is found in the river that like the cop should come after him basically saying that he's going to drown the referee in a river that is not productive we could improve both of these things can be true simultaneously we as a soccer nation and all the people front office coaches players fans in person in stadiums fans in the pub fans on social media can improve their discourse and be more respectful in how they talk about referees, how they criticize referees, what they say about referees, not invoking their mother, not saying four-letter words and everything. And simultaneously, the referees are being shielded from criticism that is fair given the quality of the officiating in Major League Soccer in 2023. Hopefully I said that well enough. It's not like Pro's going to find me. Howard Webb doesn't listen to this podcast, Rachel. Um, 
So I, I think the, the one thing that I'll say on this, Rachel, is that notwithstanding, I think on the balance of play and everything, I still think that Houston was the better team. So in that regard, I'm iffy on Cincinnati, but I think there's no question Columbus deserved to advance, Houston deserved to advance. One thing, the game, however, that I did not agree with based on the balance of play and the officiating, however, Rachel, was the other Western Conference semifinal that saw LAFC and Dennis Bawanga down Seattle Sounders. Uh, Rachel, I will throw it to you, your thoughts on the narrative of the game and how it went and your thoughts behind it. Oh, okay. <laughs> Here we go. So Seattle Sounders hosting LAFC, their formidable, weird kind of rival. Um, it's it's such a weird rivalry, but takes me back to the uh, feeling better than Bob and then um, as as my boyfriend likes to quote, I don't know. How do you think it feels, Stu? Um, lots of really good quips from from this rivalry, but this this match was pretty much overshadowed by the refereeing um, incidents, and I say incidents plural because there were a lot of missed calls. There was a lot of okay, well, we're going to call this heavily on one side, and we're not going to call it heavily on the other side. I think that at times. Like, I think, yes, Seattle got more of the bad calls, but LAFC got their fair share of bad calls as well, too. Um, but anyway, possession-wise, Seattle pretty much edged LAFC the whole time. Um, LAFC only had 30% of per- 30% of possession, um, and Seattle had about 70%. Um, Seattle had more shots. They had more shots on goal. They had more passes they had more corners and yet they just could not put their chances away there were so many good chances and you know we can we can sit here and talk about the referees um all day every day as much as we want but if you're not putting your chances away then that's a huge problem um I think it was Jordan Morris he had basically a one-on-one with um goalkeeper Maxine Crapo who he just stood on his head in that game he was absolutely excellent with um, the eight shots that he faced on goal. Um, just a really, really great showing from him after a really tough, like, year, year and a half for him, getting injured, missing the World Cup with Canada. You know, you know the whole story. Um, but Seattle just did not put their chances away. LAFC, of course, um, Boenga put his chance away. That's all they needed was one. Um, and, and, that's that's all she wrote about it, really. Um, there were some early yellow cards, particularly uh, to knew who got a yellow card in the 20th minute after going studs up in the corner <laughs> by the referee. Um, he had a couple other tricky moments there in the first half, um, and I was quite surprised they didn't pull him um, and, and sub him. I don't even I think they subbed him toward the end of the game in stoppage time, but. I was quite surprised they didn't they didn't pull him a lot earlier. But um Leo Chu had some good looks on goal. Rao Rui Diaz came in the game and he was kind of an effect for them. Nico Ladero wasn't too much of an effect. He pretty much um he's kind of had a rough year. I think the wheels are starting to slow down on him. Um it's been said he's not coming back to the Sounders next year. Um so he's been I think he's been with the team since like twenty sixteen. So that's that's a huge, you know, just an end of an era there for Seattle. Um, I highly, highly doubt that Raul Rui Diaz is going to be back, but we'll see um, about that. LAFC moves on, though. Of course, they have the Golden Boot winner with Boenga. 
Um, and, and they just have a really solid goalkeeper in Crapo. Um, they should be fine heading into um, a match against Houston because they are a little bit more um, experienced than they are, but they need to get that possession number up because they basically just let Seattle walk all over them when it came to possession. Um, so if Houston can, <clears throat> if Houston can get up on possession, then uh, I think I think they just need to watch out for the counterattacks from LAFC because that's pretty much what um, LAFC runs on. That and also throwing themselves in, into the box and on the ground. Two questions that I've got for you, Rachel. We'll start with the one topical for the game. Um, four minutes in before Ted Uncle has an effect on the game, before Dennis Belonga scores in the 30th minute. Um, should Jordan Morris have done better on that opportunity? Yeah, I just think with somebody that's as experienced as Jordan Morris, I think you, you have to put that one away. Jordan Morris had a really kind of weird year that he did was really solid in the opening matches of the season. He kind of lulled down in the middle and then he started to score again. Um, so it's been like kind of a weird year for Jordan Morris. Like, yeah, his numbers look good, but they're not always the most consistent, but still somebody of his, you know, veteranness, whatever, uh, he needs to put the ball away. And then, you know, you mentioned Rachel that you mentioned how the season and how the game went for Nicolo Dero and ultimately how his Sounders career ended. But I think we would be remiss without pointing out, like if you're talking influential on the field, DP implications. So not necessarily what Messi's done off the field, not necessarily what Zlatan did to save um, LA Galaxy. I think there's a very easy argument that David Beckham was a bigger signing for the league than he was individually for, um, uh, for the LA Galaxy. But removing the commercial side if you're just talking about wins and losses and trophies Nico Lodero has to be a top five designated player in major league soccer history I think we'd be remiss Rachel if I didn't give you an opportunity to talk about ultimately his legacy as a sounder yeah it's kind of crazy that you know he's not coming back because you know it's been such a long time that there's been a sounders team without him um, I, I know it's going to be like the same way when Stefan Fry eventually retires um, because those two have just been, I think they, they both came like a, I think a year maybe apart from each other, um, might, might've been two years, but certainly not that long of a gap. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, Nico Ladero, I'll always never forget. I'll always remember how after winning MLS cup in, in 2019, it was the, the second title, um, that Seattle had won. He was doing the celebration where he was like dancing around in a circle and like kind of patting his lower backside. And everybody was like, what in the world is he doing? And he said, that's how my son celebrates um, goals. And it was just such like a sweet, you know, childlike moment. I remember he and his son um, doing, doing the dance and the celebration on the parades. Um, Nico Lader is just one of those guys who he completely inserted himself um, into the Seattle Sounders culture, into the community, um, and and he really did give his all. I I know I've I, I've been pretty harsh on him this year just with the the lack of output on the pitch, but he's still an amazing guy. And like you said, man, I think one of the top ten DP signings um, in MLS history, just with his impact and um, on honestly just his legacy with Seattle. I'm glad that he's not going out. Um, with any ill will or anything like that he he's doing it on his own terms um Seattle you know thank you you gave us everything you've got um we appreciate all your hard work and there's 
there's going to be a big celebration for him at some point, I'm sure of it. Best sounder ever, Rachel? Or would Stephen Fry, maybe a Jordan Morris have a claim to that? Or is that is that would you like to table that discussion? I just I personally think it's Stefan Fry. I know goalkeeper doesn't get the the rave and the recognition that it deserves. Um, I, I think Obafemi Martins is is also in there as well too. He was just an amazing sounder. Um, I think obviously Jordan Morris, you know, is going to get a shout or two. But another person who gets overlooked is Christian Roldan. Um, he's kind of like that Mister Reliable for the Sounders. He really always has been. Um, but Stefan Fry too. I think he just kind of gets the edge because he is constantly also winning the team's humanitarian of the year award. He does so much within the Seattle community that it just, I mean, it's, it's pretty remarkable how much he does. I think that'll do it for our recapping of the previous games. But Rachel, before we move on to previewing the conference final. I would like to thank our sponsor, Athletic Greens. Uh, their signature AG1 formula is perfect for daily nutrition and gut health support. AG1 solves two of the most important health needs that you have, uh, nutrients for your body on a daily basis, and then providing a foundation for long-term gut health as well. This helps fuel your whole body and can impact everything from your sleep to digestion, energy, mood, immunity, to even the health of your hair, skin, and nails. Follow the link in the show notes description to get started with AG1 today. Thank you again to Athletic Greens for sponsoring Last Word SC Radio. Okay, Rachel, let's get to this. Um, uh, let's start in the. Uh, do we want to do chronologically, Rachel? Yeah, we'll start in. We'll start in hell, Rachel. We'll start at the bottom and work our way up, or we'll start in the Eastern Conference and then work our way to the Western Conference. Um, Rachel, hell is real. FC Cincinnati, Columbus Crew, uh, both these games will be on Saturday. We'll be at 6 p.m. Uh, for the Eastern Conference game and then at 9.30 p.m. Eastern for LAFC hosting Houston Dynamo. Uh, Rachel, I think uh, this is going to be exciting. It's going to be crazy. Biggest Hell is Real game, I think, in history. This will outdo the Open Cup sellout that you had at Nippert Stadium when FCC were still in the USL Championship. Um, Nomad Miazga is certainly going to hurt FC Cincinnati. Um, I think Columbus Crew is glad that they survived or outlasted Orlando City. I think they've got the slightly better attack in terms of overall balance. I think that FC Cincinnati has the best individual, though, on the pitch in the form of Lucho Acosta. And I'm wondering without Matt Miazga, if Pat Noonan just tries to tinker a little bit to throw a curveball that Wilford Nancy isn't necessarily expecting. You know, I thought that <clears throat> all of Cruz's playoff games that they've had so far, I think Atlanta was predictable and tried to do what they tried to do. I think if Wilford Nancy looked back in the annals of MLS playoff history of how Oscar Perea handles those games, he will not be surprised by how Orlando handled this. And I'm wondering, does Cincinnati throw a slight curveball that Bruce Arena possibly would have done at times that then Pat Noonan would have pulled from, given that they're without their main center back because i think if they go straight toe to toe this turns into a shootout that i think columbus has more uh has more juice to ultimately win that's what i want to see though rachel because i could totally see where pat noonan tries to 4-2-3-1 or 4-4-2 at bruce ball it up to then make this an ugly game and it turns into nil no i want to see goals i want fire and brimstone in the form of goal contributions. I, I want this to be hell is real, not hell is boring. 
So you want chaos? <laughs> yes, I want this is the this is the chaos pick here, Rachel, because I think uh, I think Houston and LAFC is going to be fairly academic. We'll get to that in a minute. Yeah, I I agree with you, and I I it's so tough because obviously, Matt, you know my toxic relationship with FC Cincinnati. <laughs> and so like I want them to win but honestly like as much as a problematic piece that he is I don't want them to win without Matt Miazga like it's I don't know it's just I want them to win I don't want them to win without him so I think my heart is telling me to go with Columbus but I'm still mad about the 2020 World Cup World Cup MLS Cup whenever they beat Seattle so um but putting putting my uh my my sad year behind us um, I am rooting for, for Columbus to win this game. I, I do think it would be nice to see Cincinnati go to their, their first MLS cup, but I also like, I'm a big believer in rooting for the little guy. And since, um, Cincinnati was number one in the league in the supporter shield, they already have a nice shiny trophy. Um, give, give me Wilfred Nancy winning, um, and, and basically proving to everyone, Hey, you can make a, a lateral move and, in MLS because a lot of people including a few of us called it that when he went from Montreal to um, a struggling Columbus team and he really helped them um, rise back up anew and and get back into their winning ways so um, I would love to see Columbus get this win I wouldn't be mad if Cincinnati won it all Um, it's really cool and fun to see um, a derby in in the conference finals Uh, not a lot of traveling for uh, Columbus, so expect there to be a lot of Columbus fans. It's going to be loud. It's going to be crazy. It's going to be um, everything that you would want in hell is real. And yeah, like you said, it, it needs to be fun and enticing, and it cannot be boring because this is the game that's going to set up the other game. I almost think, like Rachel, I feel like given the charged nature of this, I almost feel like this has to. There's so many narratives off the pitch and how the season has gone as well. I was listening to Taylor Twelman's podcast earlier today, and he had on Pat Brennan, who's the FCC beat writer for the Cincinnati Inquirer. And so in nine regular season games that these two teams have played each other, FC Cincinnati has only won one of them. It was a home game, but it was a home game during COVID. So technically... Unless so FC Cincinnati fans have not seen in person FC Cincinnati defeat Columbus since that open cup game at Nippert Stadium back in what 20 this might have been 2017 I'd have to go back and check so I think the all the storylines the fact that it's a rivalry game like this is going to be this is going to have an MLS Cup atmosphere because of how charged it is clearly you're going to have some prevents there's going to be a lot a lot of black and gold that you know sneaks through and gets tickets in certain sections i have to believe that they maxed out the away allotment as well really easy drive albeit you get scared by a hell is real sign on a farm on the way there and so i'm almost more excited for this than i am any potential matchup that you have in mls cup because it wasn't if it wasn't for a fact that the trophy was on the line i think this game means so much more Super crazy for a neutral, super crazy for the fans as well. I'm just hoping for a good game and, you know, we'll see. So I I don't want a blowout and I certainly don't want a nil-nil stinker and then in penalties as well. But we'll see. I am leaning Columbus, Rachel. I was thinking this before even the news dropped earlier this week of how I'm picking um, MLS Cup is based entirely on what goes on with the suspension with Matt Miazga. If Matt Miazga was available for this game and he was going to start... I would have been predicting Cincinnati to win. 
I am leaning and ultimately predicting Columbus to win this game based simply on Matt Miazga's absence. Let's move on to the Western Conference, Rachel, where I think there's uh, maybe less juice about this one. But you've got LAFC against Houston Dynamo. Houston's certainly much more of the plucky underdog. I think they certainly have gotten here on merit. I think LAFC is a dangerous team to win MLS Cup, Rachel, in that the longer they hung around, given how they ended the regular season and how Dennis Bowanga dependent they've been, that they're just simply survive in advance and ride. Dennis Bowanga has LeBroned the has LeBroned LAFC to hosting the Western Conference Final. They're at home. They're a better team than Houston. I don't know that Houston has a match winner. I think there's a lot of interesting stuff that Steve Chirondolo could do in the midfield to negate what goes on between Kokos Kerasia and certainly Ache Ache. I think that's the biggest advantage that Houston has. If they're able to absorb predator, cover ground, and then ultimately retain the ball after that and everything, they can stymie the transition play that we'll see from LAFC and then try to break them down in possession. But the biggest thing is almost, for me, going to be how well Houston takes care of the ball. Because if Houston takes care of the ball and doesn't give opportunities to LAFC, the, the better they can do that and the longer they can do that, I think the longer they're able to hang around in games. I don't think there's any question. If you told me right now that both of these games were going to be 3-0 affairs, I would say that like it, I, I could see it either way for Hell is Real. I could see Lucho Acosta just pointing Cincinnati on his back and then finding a way to do it almost single-handedly. I could see Nomad Meazga... Um, Cincinnati conceding early and then just unraveling in transition against that crew attack. I have a hard time seeing how Houston wins this game 3-0. And I could see it easily where Houston has most of the ball. And they make mistakes with the ball, leave openings, and that just leads to Boanga doing his role, his job, and then really tap ends against Steve Clark and everything. And so that has me worried. I think it's the, but I think fortunately, or where there should be confidence for Ben Olsen and company, is they're going to lean on their biggest strength. And if they do, if they do what they do best to the best of their abilities, this can be a 50-50 game. I don't think that will happen. LAFC has experience. They've been in the situation before, even without Christian Bale and Chiellini uh, poophousery as well. Rachel, your thoughts? Um, I'm rooting for the fighting Ben Olsons because I cannot root for LAFC <laughs> after that, especially. Um. Yeah, I just, I, the turnaround of, of Houston has been absolutely incredible, um, this season. You know, I haven't been able to watch as much MLS as I've wanted to, but I have been able to check out a few Houston games down the stretch and just the, the differences night and day with what Brett Ben Olsen has brought to this group. Um, I'm excited to see them get the opportunity to, to go to MLS Cup. Um, it's been a long, long, long time for them. Um, and I, I just really hope that they, they make that happen. I don't have too much to say other than that. Okay. Um, I guess Rachel, let's do predictions. Um, Rachel, we, we both have Columbus. Yes. 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 I'm, I'm going to go chalk and say it's LAFC as well. No, <laughs> no, you've got Houston. I've got Houston. I'm going to, I'm going to root for the underdog in this one. I'm giving okay. Houston. Give me Houston. It's going to be uh two, one. I'll say 3-1 Columbus in normal time for um Hell is Real and I will go I will go 2-1 but the final the goal for Houston will come in 
garbage time. So the scoreline will be flattering. The underlying numbers and the I how the watching the game, the eye test will make it clear that LASC was the better team and should advance. So um, I've got Columbus hosting LAFC. Rachel, you've got Columbus hosting Houston Dynamo. Any last words, Rachel, or shall we get out of here? I know you're tired and want to go to bed. Um, I'm just going to tell the lovely listeners about our friends Icarus FC. Um, friends, are you tired of the same old uniforms and cookie-cutter templates from Nike and Adidas? Are you looking for a completely new custom kit for your Sunday League squad, adult, or even pro team? Icarus FC can help you create the kit of your dreams at an affordable price with the motto, any design you want. Seriously, let them help you create your new custom kit today at IcarusFC.com. Um, the only last word I have, and I will make it extremely brief, is that I am allowed to have a life again and read books that aren't just um, graduate master's books. Um, I just finished the song, uh, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, because I'm making my boyfriend see the Hunger Games movie with me. But if anybody has any book recommendations, my my uh, Twitter X whatever um, is at Rachel Kruger, and I love reading, so give me some good book recommendations. Excellent stuff, Rachel. Uh, Rachel, would you would you be open to a footballer's like autobiography? Absolutely. Okay, one sec. Gonna go over to the old bookshelf here, listeners. Matt is. We we did not have video, so everybody is missing out on Matt running over to his bookshelf and almost smacking into his. Rachel, can I introduce you? I was telling the listeners what what you were doing and how you almost smacked your leg into the couch. <laughs> oh, thank you. I did not smack my leg into the couch. I did not trip myself. Uh, Rachel, the Beast, uh, uh Fenwell's book. Um, he is a career lower league player, uh, mostly in League Two, but he's also played non league. He played in League One, um, in uh in England. Um, and he's a player. If you'll see, uh. There's not really a good photo that I can show you right now, but if you Google him and everything, he's a big boy. And there were points where he struggled with his weight. He's historically the only FIFA player to have a 99 strength in the history of the game. So you think about um, Madden and the 99 club and everything and really open. He's been open about the racial abuse that he's had. And he's a very well-spoken player, despite not necessarily coming from a higher education and having an accent that shows that he's clearly from a working class background in London and everything. He is a magnanimous just absolute peach and amazing of a human being he's continued that from a media standpoint he's just he's got real almost like ted lasso positive energy in terms of how he approaches everything how he treats other people how respectful he is and just the energy that he has to talk about his upbringing how he dealt with stuff um and ways in which someone can be an effective footballer even if they don't necessarily have the body type that you would assume and how he dealt with that from a physical standpoint from an emotional standpoint from a social standpoint and everything um I, I, he's, he's, he's a really good human being. He's really inspirational. And so I thought his book was where well written. Um, and regardless of how I feel about where Steven Gerrard is currently applying his trade and getting money, um, uh, the forward written by Steven Gerrard, I think is respectful as well. Um, you'll remember Rachel that he went absolutely viral after his, uh, two sideline interviews that he did from his team winning promotion via the playoff. And then he actually, uh, he mentioned in the first one, he mentioned, um, 
being, uh, um, uh, you know, being out of a contract because the club wasn't going to retain him even if they promoted him. And then so him wanting uh, a new club. And so he said, hit me up on WhatsApp. And then he was asked the second time around about getting hit up on WhatsApp. And he said he's a big Liverpool fan. So he said, the only person who can hit me up on WhatsApp is Jurgen Klopp so we can celebrate. Uh, um, Liverpool had just won the premiership. So obviously there's that. Um, and so not the, hey, I want to go play at Liverpool now because I've won promotion into the English championship. I want to celebrate with Klopp. And then Klopp actually FaceTimes him afterwards. And there's a really funny video of him watching that uh, hanging around in London, still in full kit, Jack Grealish style at like two in the morning celebrating uh, with getting promoted with Wickham. So there's that. Um, listeners uh so that'll be my last words then rachel since i gave you a full book review of a book that you should totally buy right now for like 12 dollars uh i want to thank our other sponsor roughneck scarves they are an official scarf supplier mls usl nwsl and u.s soccer merchandise get your custom scarves today for your group team or office at roughneckscarves.com r-u-f-f Follow us collectively on social media listeners at Last Word SC. Check us out wherever you get your podcasts. Just search LWS Radio or Last Word on Sports. You'll find us and a bunch of other great content. Listeners will probably preview MLS Cup. Maybe not. We'll have to see about the schedule. Um, and then we'll talk MLS Cup after it happens, probably on December the 9th in the afternoon. And then don't expect to hear from us until the new year. But thank you very much for listening to us um, and enjoy the conference finals this weekend.